Thank you, Rob. Yeah, well, it's a, uh, a pleasure to be with you again this morning. Um, it's always a joy for uh, our family and myself to come and, uh, and join with you in worship. And it's my privilege to this, uh, this morning to open the Word of God. So I know I've prayed, but let's just do that again as we uh, ask for, uh, for God to help us as we uh, go through His Word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have all enjoyed this morning to gather around your table and to remember our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died in our place, whose death and uh, resurrection has brought us life, has taken our sin and washed it away forever. We thank you for your love, for your grace, and for your mercy. Father, we thank you for the word of God, the word that is certain truth, the word on which we can live our lives knowing that we can see salvation and become and be transformed more into the likeness of our saviour we thank you for the spirit the holy spirit the gift that you've given each believer who indwells each one of us who guides us into all truth and as we open your word now we pray that your spirit indeed would guide us as we hear from your word may we take it Uh, and use it in our lives to your glory we ask in jesus name amen Amen. all right this morning if you've um if you've got a a notebook um there's a chance for you to jot down a few notes we're going to start with a few questions this morning now don't be concerned i'm not going to mark them and you don't have to call them out all right but here we go If you met with a brand new Christian, what do you think would be the most important things that you would tell them that they need to be involved in, that they need to understand? What are the most important elements of the Christian faith? Now, we could go on all day just talking about those things, but I'm going to limit you to four. All right, so if you've got a notebook, write down what do you think are the four most important elements that you would tell a brand new Christian that they need to know about or be involved in. Alright, if you haven't written that down, hopefully you've got it in your head anyway. Right, we're going to change the scenario. Now you're talking with someone who's been, who's an experienced Christian, who's been a believer all their lives. Ask the same things. What are the four most important things you would tell them that they need to have in their lives, that they need to be involved in as a Christian? Would your list change? Would it be the same and final question looking at your list or lists are they in a priority order those four things that you've marked down is there a priority or are they all equal in their importance all right answer time like i said not going to ask for answers we're not going to mark them but we're going to go to the word of truth to find where our answers are we believe that the bible are the very words of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit to 40 different authors. But yet in the world in which we live, where truth is so variable, where my truth can be different to your truth, and yet both are acceptable, it is so good to have a solid word of truth that we can hang on to, the word of God that can direct us all into righteousness. So let's, uh, let's turn into uh, our Bibles, if you will, to find the answers to these questions. And we're going to look in 
to the book of Acts. So if you turn with me to Acts and to chapter 2. So as we know, the, the word of God was actually not written into English, but has been translated. And, uh, and so we're so grateful that we have the word of God in our own language that we can read and understand uh, together. And so Acts chapter 2, we're going to pick up our reading from verse 36. Now, Peter has just stood up in front of everybody in Jerusalem and preached the gospel to explain to all those who are there why Christ had to come and what he accomplished in his death and resurrection. And in an amazing miracle, every person who was there heard the word of God in their own language so that they fully understood it. And we're going to pick up right at the very end of Peter's uh, 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 message uh, here to those people. Verse 36, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miracles, miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So how did you go with the answers? We see them here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The four most important things that the early church believers devoted themselves to, the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, most of these are relatively obvious, I would have thought, so I would imagine that most of you could tick uh, and pass this little minor exam. The Apostles' teaching refers to recounting the words of the Lord Jesus when he was on earth, plus the revelations given by God beforehand and since. The Word of God is critical. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Matthew 4 4 says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And in John 17 17, it says, Sanctify them by the truth, for your word is truth. Another element mentioned is the breaking of the bread, this a beautiful feast that we've just shared 
together. The Lord introduced this, as Tom mentioned to us, to his disciples as a physical reminder of the sacrifice of the Son on the cross of Calvary for us. The Bible records this in three of the four Gospels, in Matthew, Mark and Luke. And as we read in 1 Corinthians, Paul reiterated the importance to the believers. Another element that we read in verse 42 is prayer. The life of Jesus was characterised by constant prayer, as was the lives of all the Old Testament legends that came before him. Jesus often withdrew to a private place where he could commune with God, where he could pray and talk with the Father. He described to his disciples in Matthew 6 how it is that they ought to pray, and there we have the Lord's Prayer laid out for us. But prayer was also characterised the life of the Apostle Paul. Every letter that he wrote, he mentions that he is praying for his readers. A couple of verses say, uh, say this, Colossians 4.2, Devote yourselves to prayer and be watchful and thankful. And some verses that have really been uh, dear to my heart over the last couple of months is Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and, thanks, and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And look what he promises. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So maybe, somewhat surprising maybe to some of us, is that the fourth member of this list that I haven't mentioned yet is fellowship. It could have been a long, long list of any other attributes or elements We could have mentioned praise and worship. We could have mentioned evangelism. We could have mentioned uh, meeting the needs, the physical needs of those around us. It could have been singing, could have been giving, could have been encouraging each other in our faith. But no, here, uh, the, the early believers devoted themselves to fellowship. Whilst all these other things are important, these were the four critical characteristics of the early church. The other thing to note, and this was the third question that we asked, is there an element of priority amongst your list? The other thing to note is that fellowship is mentioned second on that list. Now, I actually don't think that this is in a priority order. But what it does show you is that it wasn't tacked on the end as though it was also do this. We know how important the word of God is. We know how important it is to meet around the table of the Lord Jesus. We know how important it is to be in communion and conversation with God through prayer. And the early church is showing here that this is just as critical. Fellowship is just as critical for the healthy Christian life. And it's what I would like to spend our time looking at for the rest of our time together. If you are looking for a title for this message, you could say, Fellowship, the Gift of God to the Believer. So what comes to mind when you hear the word fellowship? And We could have some interaction here if you wanted to, but let's just leave that into your mind. What does come to mind? What are some of the words that pop in to your mind? I, uh, I heard this mentioned a little while ago, and probably one of the first things I heard back was food. 
And yes, we often do meet around food, don't we? Friendship, meeting together, attending church is uh, often referred to as fellowship. And we're about to go and spend some time after this message outside around a cup of tea and coffee and, uh, and morning tea. And that too is often referred to as fellowship. But I'd like to return you back to the passage that we're looking at and particularly from verse 42 through to the end of chapter 2, because here I believe it actually spells it out for us quite clearly. Let me just read that section again. Verse 42, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we read there in verse 44, the believers were together and had everything in common. What else were some of the attributes that we just read in that passage? They gave to those of their number who were in need. They met together, and in this instance, every day. They broke bread together. They ate together. They praised God together. So the word fellowship is an English translation of the Greek word koinonia. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar. So I did look that up, so I'm going to put that, my hand up straight away. But I do this for a reason. I share this particular Greek word for a reason. And that is, it appears over 80 times in the New Testament, but it is not always translated as fellowship. So the reason why I bring it up is because I want to share with you some of the other English words that are used in the Scriptures when this Greek word is translated. And it's words such as communion, sharing in common, Contributing, partnership, partaking, participation. I think you get the idea of that we're talking about a word, fellowship, that is more deeper than just a friendship. We're talking about having community together, having communion together, being one of one mind, being partners with each other, contributing to each other, and participating in fellowship together. And that's what came out of that particular passage we just read. And I actually think that verse 44 on its own is a really good definition of fellowship. The believers were together and had everything in common. Later on in Acts it says that they were of one heart and one mind. And this is what we're talking about in verse 42 when they say they were devoted to fellowship they were devoted to this oneness to this unity to this partnership and communion together so we're not talking about a social friendship we're not talking about hanging out with people that we like uh, and having a meal with those that we get on with really really well no we're talking about something much more deeper much more impacting we get to choose who we hang out with we hang out with those that we enjoy hanging out with. Uh, but this is not what fellowship is talking about because fellowship 
is so broad, right? Anybody who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved and brought into his family as a son or daughter of the living king. That makes them our brother and sister. And that means they are brought into our family as well, that we are to fellowship and partner with them, to be in common with them and to share in the, uh, in, in the, uh, the work of the gospel together with them, living the Christian life together. So based on the, the definition that we've been talking about, we're just going to have a look at what is the basis of fellowship. It must be based on something, right? And so here's a couple of verses for, uh, for us in this instance. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, it says this, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And 1 John 1, 6 verse, uh, verses 6 and 7 says this, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So our fellowship is based on the common salvation that each one of us has, which is found in Christ alone. When we are saved, we're called into fellowship, into communion, into a partnership with our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is only possible because of his shed blood on the cross of Calvary. His sacrifice has imparted to us his sinless perfection and holy righteousness. And it is that alone that makes us fit and worthy to be welcomed into God's family, to be welcomed into fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ. It is his sinless and perfection, his holy righteousness, that allows us to have fellowship one with the other as well. And it's his sinless and perfect uh, perfection and holy righteousness that allows us to have fellowship with the entire Godhead, with the Trinity. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> and in 2 Corinthians 13, Paul prays that the fellowship of the Holy Spirit would be with all of us. So I'm now going to have a look at three biblical examples of fellowship. And of course, we're going to start with the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each member of the Godhead coexists, but they have different functions. But in fact, they are all one and acting in perfect fellowship and unity, one with the other. Just a few verses that, that back this up, that show this to us. John chapter 1, 18. No one has ever seen God, but, on, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. In John 10:30 Jesus says, "I and the Father are one." John 15:26 When the advocate comes, the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. John 17:11 I'll remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we 
are one. And a verse that I'm going to come back to a bit later on, John 17, 20, my prayer is not for them alone. So this is the Lord Jesus praying again. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, all of them, that they may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that may, they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world would know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. There's plenty of other verses we could go to, but we see here and we know this as a fact that the Trinity is perfect fellowship. Working together in perfect harmony of one heart, mind, of one heart, of one common goal, and that is to see fellowship between God and mankind restored to that perfect fellowship that once existed in the garden. So fellowship within the Trinity. The second example that we see in the scriptures is fellowship between us and the Godhead. Fellowship with the Father, fellowship with the Son, and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. We've already heard a few verses this morning that explain that to us. But this fellowship is predicated on two things. First one is that our faith and our trust in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ for the saving of our souls, for the forgiveness of our sins. That is the first point in which our fellowship is based on with the Godhead. And secondly, continuing to live out that faith by following Christ and his ways. The Bible refers to that as walking in the light. Now, none of us are perfect. None of us can continually walk within the light because we are sinners at our very core. But thanks be to God for his gracious and merciful love to us. 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, bringing us back into the light, back into that perfect communion and fellowship with the Godhead. And this is what God's desire is for us. This is why Jesus Christ was sent to the cross of Calvary, that we might have perfect fellowship with the Godhead. And we see that right at the very beginning of the scriptures, right at the very beginning of the world back in the Garden of Eden where God walked with Adam and Eve and talked with them. How precious would that have been? They lived in perfect communion. There was no sin that broke that fellowship. They worked together in partnership because Adam was given a position that ruled over the earth and over the animals. He named each one of them. God and Adam worked together in partnership, in fellowship, perfect fellowship. But as we know, sin came in and broke that perfect fellowship. And then since then, God, through the sacrifice of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and through the work of the Holy Spirit, have enabled mankind to again experience fellowship with God. Even today, when we walk in unison with God, when we make ourselves available for his service, when we immerse ourselves within the scriptures, when we commune regularly and frequently and daily with our Father in heaven, we get to experience 
a special fellowship with the Godhead. It's an intangible feeling of closeness with God. Walking in harmony with the Trinity is a very special place to be. In some small way, even in our own lives, we can understand the response of the men who unwittingly were walking on the road to Emmaus with the Saviour. And this was their description of their time with the Lord. Were not our hearts burning within us whilst he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? When we're walking in perfect fellowship with God, we often feel that intangible sensation of being at one with God. Check this out in John 14, 23. What an amazing verse. Jesus says, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them. And listen to this bit. And we will come to them and make our home with them. Jesus promises that the Godhead, the Trinity, will come and make their home with us if we obey his teachings. So it's possible for us to walk in that perfect fellowship with God. The third uh, and final example we want to have a bit of a look at uh, this morning is fellowship with other believers. Pondering on our relationship, on our fellowship with the Godhead, with the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit can really help us to understand how it is that we can participate, how we can share in the lives of each other. When we see what each member of the Trinity does for us, we can replicate those things for others. And so we're going to just look again ever so briefly at just some of these characteristics. Again, we could be here all day if we went through every single one of them, but I'm just going to touch on a few. You'll get the idea, and I'm sure your mind will will be filled with other examples of characteristics of what the Trinity does in our relationship with us and then how we could take that and place that into uh, our relationship with each other. Consider the Father. He cares for us. Think of the, the scriptures that talk about the birds of the air, the lilies of the field, the sparrows that fall, that God knows each one and cares for each one and dresses the lilies and provides for the birds he says how much more will he provide for us we know that the father loves us we know that his love is so great that he sent his only son for us we know that he's gracious to us we know that he's merciful to us we know that he gives us peace in troubled times and we know that he forgives us all beautiful characteristics that we need to share each one of us each other with Listen to this verse, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 16. Man, there's some great verses in the scriptures, and here's one of them. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, now encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Have a look at some of those words in there. Loved us, he's gracious to us, he encourages us, he gives us hope, he strengthens us for every good deed and word. How is it that we can do that to one another? Find out how we can because that is true fellowship, isn't it? 
Consider that our Lord Jesus Christ, who sacrificed everything for us, he is the ultimate peacemaker. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. And he's currently in heaven advocating on our behalf and also interceding for us. Here is something we can do for our brothers and sisters. We can advocate for them. We can pray for them. We can intercede for them on their behalf, just like the Lord Jesus Christ is currently doing. We can follow so many examples that are left for us in the Gospels about Christ, who he spoke with, who he ate with, who he served, how he served them, what he said, what he, and whom he spoke to. Now consider the Holy Spirit. He too is an advocate for us, for the Father. And he intercedes for us, especially when we don't know what to say. How often do we have brothers and sisters who are in turmoil, who just do not know what to say? We can pray for them on their behalf to God. The Spirit also teaches us and reminds us of God's truth. He guides us into all truth. And that, as we saw, was one of the things that the early church were devoted to, and that was the apostles' teaching, the teaching of Christ. And so we can teach and remind each other of God's faithfulness to us. So this fellowship, it's so much more than a friendship. It's not something that is an association that comes from sharing a common interest. It's not the same as being in a sporting club or a music club or going to a sporting event with like-minded people that are cheering for the same team. This is nothing like that whatsoever. We are in communion together. We have one heart of one mind. We're participating and partnering with each other in our Christian walk, making each other more like Christ. Jesus knew how important fellowship is to his believers. He often prayed about this, and this is this verse that we talked about before. Have a re- as we read, just listen to what it refers to us and our unity and our oneness as believers. My prayer is not for them alone, but I pray for all those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them... That's us, the glory that you gave me, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Now look at this last thing. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Did you notice that? Because of our fellowship with each other, the world will look upon us and know that the Lord... that. God the Father sent the Son and that he has loved them by watching us in fellowship and communion with each other. We're uh, we're getting very short on time, so I'm just going to go back to that passage very briefly and just touch on again some of those things that the believers did with each other from a fellowship point of view Just look at the passage as I go through. First of all, the first thing to note, they were devoted. They intentionally were devoted to God and to each other. They were in fellowship and communion with God first before with each other. From that basis, they were able to participate in fellowship. They were together. They had everything in common. They were of one heart, of one mind. They were generous 
and they gave to everybody within their number who needed something. They were hospitable. They met together and ate together. They attended church together. They broke bread together and they praised God together. They looked to ways to encourage each other in their faith. I didn't actually count it up, but how many times did I just use the word together? We are not saved to be islands. We're saved to encourage each other in this faith together. Hebrews 10 gives us this exhortation. Verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another onto love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Fellowship's a two-way street. We need to invest in each other, but each other will invest back into us. A two-way blessing that we both enjoy. We'll finish with this little list of characteristics that just might help bring a bit more practicality to this. Some characteristics of Christian fellowship. Authenticity. We share our true feelings with one another. Mutuality, we encourage each other. Empathy, we support each other. Mercy, we forgive each other. Honesty, we speak the truth in love. Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. The depth of our fellowship with each other enables us to keep each other accountable before God. There are times when each of us need to be reminded to jump back on the path of righteousness. And God has given us the precious gift of fellowship the loving and graciousness of our brothers and sisters to help us do this. Let's go back to our list. Authenticity, mutuality, empathy, mercy, honesty, humility. We admit our weaknesses. Courtesy, we respect our differences. Confidentiality, we do not gossip about each other or anything else. Frequency, we make fellowship a priority. And hospitality, we each eat with each other as we meet together. It is no wonder that fellowship is listed as one of the four key elements of the Christian faith. As we've seen this morning, it's a necessary and precious gift from God the Father to each one of us. As you go home and into this week, examine your lives. How are you going in your own fellowship one with the other? How are you going in fellowship with God the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit? The things that you're doing well and that you're loving in your fellowship, continue to do it. Those that maybe you're struggling in, ask the Spirit for help and for strength and for encouragement and, and take the, the, the leap of faith to step out and do some of these things that maybe you're not currently doing. Fellowship with God and fellowship with one another is such a precious gift. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for... Uh, our time together around your word. We thank you for the precious gift of the word of God that we have. We thank you for the opportunity to remember our Lord Jesus Christ through the breaking of bread. We thank you for the gift of prayer that you've given us that we may talk freely with you 
and commune with you. And we thank you for this precious gift of fellowship. First of all, fellowship with the Godhead, fellowship with the Father, fellowship with the Son, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. But thank you that you have not left us alone to try and figure out this Christian journey on our own, but you've given us brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage each other, to strengthen each other. Thank you for the unity that comes through the gospel, that we might be one. Help us to be one as a fellowship here at Thornlands. Help us to mark this fellowship, to show and example this fellowship together so others might see us here and see that you love them. We thank you for these words. May your uh, spirit impress them on our hearts this week. And we ask this in the name of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.